It says in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you remember from two weeks ago, we looked at the biography of a Christian found in the first ten verses of chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians. We saw a Christian's past, what we were in the past. And that was dead in our trespasses and sins, as it talks about in the first few verses. And then we looked at our present, which was made alive in Christ. And we looked at our future. That when we're looking forward to God, it says He's going to pour out the immeasurable riches of His grace upon us throughout all of eternity in His kindness toward us. We have kind of a dark past, a brilliant present, and a wonderful future to look forward to. So we got to look at it, at all of those things. My life yesterday, my life today, my life tomorrow. Well, verses 8-10 through 10 are my life every day. Because it just describes grace in the life of a believer. What, do we, what is our life every day? Every day we should be living and enjoying the grace of God within our life. So that's what we're going to consider here this morning is this idea of living in grace. And you know what? I don't know about you, but after 2020, 2021, living in grace sounds like a great idea. But here's the good thing. Whether the pandemic's still there or not, we still get to live in grace. Whether we're going through some struggles and trials, which we'll probably have some in 2021, or whether we're experiencing joys and successes, which we'll probably have some in 2021, we can rest comfortably within the grace of God as we walk through all of those experiences coming up in the new year. And so it's a time of great hope for us. Well, as we consider this idea of living in grace, there's three different things that this passage points out that grace does in our lives. The first thing that we see that grace does is that grace saves. Grace saves. Notice in verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace saves. That's what our salvation is completely built on. Our salvation is not built on any ability that we have to earn access or favor before God. Jesus Christ came into this world to accomplish that. God in His grace accomplished it for us through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. It is just a gift that God gives us. In fact, that's exactly what it refers to it as in this passage. That it's a gift. In fact, I'd like to point out two different uh, things that he says it is not. It's like he highlights it. He says, by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Literally, this is not of you. Not of you. After that, he says in verse 9, not of works. He says, this is, you've been saved by the grace of God. It's, it's not of you. It's not of works. Anything that you can accomplish. It is all completely of God. The whole package deal. The, His grace. The faith that He gives us. is all a gift from God. In fact, that's really, if, if you're going to call it a gift, that's kind of what it has to be, isn't it? It can't be from us. Because if you think about it, a gift, a gift is going to have to encompass two different things. One is that it isn't something that you can do for yourself. You can't give yourself anything. Because if you give yourself a gift, what did you do? You took your money that you already have and you went out and you, you purchased something. That's, you see, that's, that's not a gift. 
You, you took something that's yours and you swapped it for something else. You, you bought something. You can purchase something for yourself. You can trade for something for yourself. But you really can't give yourself anything because you already have whatever it is you traded or spent to get that thing. So you can either earn something or you can buy something, but you can't really give yourself something. It's a kind of a misnomer. But then also, if it's a gift, it cannot be earned. You can't, you can't do anything for it. Otherwise, it's not a gift. If somebody gives you something, then it can't have a price. In fact, Merriam-Webster in his dictionary, he put it this way, something voluntarily transferred by one person to another without compensation. And you know, that's exactly what Ephesians is telling us here. He's saying, look, we're saved by the grace of God, by grace through faith. It's a gift. And he emphasizes it's not of you and it's not of works. And so he's saying it didn't come from you, you receive it from me. And you didn't earn it, you didn't work for it, it is just a gift. Now, if there's any time of the year that we ought to understand that, it really ought to be this time of year when there's lots of gift giving floating around. Did you give anybody a gift that you expected something from them? A certain amount of hours of work or labor or... No, that's the whole point of a gift. And that's the point that he lays out for us is that it's all by the grace of God. It is just a gift. Now, this shouldn't surprise us because we've been focusing quite a bit on the grace of God as working our way up through the book of Ephesians. If you remember back in chapter 1, he talked about our adoption as children. And he says God predestined, which means He planned it from the beginning, us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. And how did He do that? To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us. And so it's because of God's grace that He's made us His children. And then in the next couple of verses, verses 7 and 8, He said, "...in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us." Chapter 2, in the passage that we looked at two weeks ago, it says, "...but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." Notice in the passages that we've read, all of the activity is being done by God. None of it is accomplished by us. It's God that predestined us to adoption. It's God that provided the redemption, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. It's God that made us alive together in Christ and all because of His grace. By grace, He says right in the middle of that passage, you have been saved. But notice what the focus is on. It's not on anything that we've done or anything that we are. The focus is on who God is. It points out the fact that He's rich in mercy and because of His great love and because of the immeasurable riches of His grace. That's the focus. You know, sometimes we get a little bit religious and we start thinking that we have something to contribute. We don't. In fact, we really have to get to the point where we realize that we're kind of bankrupt in this situation. And if it doesn't come to us through a gift, it doesn't come at all. Because if you're going to try to earn this salvation... You can't do enough. You can't be good enough. We've proved that in our lives over and over and over. But the good news is, you don't have to. God knew you couldn't achieve it and you couldn't be it. And so He sent His Son and He accomplished it all for us 
because of His mercy, His great love, and that amazing grace which He lavished upon us. The Apostle Paul focused on this also in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3 and verses 21 through 24. He says, But now the righteousness of God, which is kind of the theme of the book of Romans, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You know where this kind of falls in the book of Romans? It falls right after the passage that tells us that all of us have blown it. That none of us do good and none of us pursue God. We've all sinned and fall short of His glory, it says in this passage. Right after it, we find the example of Abraham. And it says, what do we learn about Abraham? Abraham was a good guy. If you're going to measure him among people, he's got some some bragging rights. But then it says, but not before God. You see, we're not measured by one another. We're measured by the holy standard and righteousness of God. And so even Abraham falls short. Even Abraham is a sinner. And right in this passage that's right in the middle, he says, but you know what? God gives it to you as a gift. The salvation. It's not something you can do for yourself. It's not of you. It's not something that you can work to accomplish. It's not of works. It's just a gift. And that's why he says a few verses following this, he says, then what becomes of our boasting? What do we got to brag about then? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You see, we, we become accepted in Christ when we, when we stop trying to trust ourselves, when we start try, stop trying to achieve it on our own, and when we finally realize that it's just been given to me in Christ and we just receive Him as our Lord and Savior and we trust Him. We were talking about this in adult Sunday school a little bit and I was talking about my own testimony of coming to Christ. I was 20 years old and, and for most of my life I just lived and just kind of did whatever I thought was right or, or some wanted to do and knew was wrong sometimes. There's plenty of things that I did wrong. For about a year and a half before I trusted Christ as my Savior, I became very religious. started going to church two, three times a week. Getting involved in things that I was learning in church were good things to be involved in. And just started trying to make changes to my life. And I became very religious. Still wasn't a believer. If you had asked me if I was, I would have told you I was. But I didn't really understand what one was. I thought a believer just meant that you believed in God and, and as in He exists. You believed in His existence and lived a decent life. So I was trying to do that. I, I believed He existed and I was trying to live a decent life. But you see, the whole problem with that idea of living a decent life is that's what I was trusting in to get to heaven. God's okay with me because I know He's there and I'm living this decent life. But the problem is, is when I measure it against God, it's not that decent. It's sinful. What I was at the time was religious. What I was at the time was self-righteous. I'm doing good enough. I'm making it on my own. And then finally, one day, June 2nd, 1985, I realized, you know what, I'm not. I'm not doing good enough, and I'm not able even to do good enough. And all of a sudden, I realized, I, always, I knew Jesus died on the cross, just didn't know what it had to do with me. 
I knew that he was born. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Just didn't really totally understand why. But all of a sudden I realized that without him coming and doing what he did, I am completely lost. And you know what I did? I bowed my knee that day and I invited Christ into my life. I said, I'm done trusting myself. I can't make it, Lord. You're just going to have to forgive me. Please forgive me. And I want your son as my Savior. And I got up a new person. Because I wasn't trying to do it on my own anymore. I just trusted the one that did it for me. And so where did my bragging rights go? They went away with all the sin that was baggaged with me as well. Because now I don't have any bragging rights. All that was done for me. And you know what? I'm totally happy with that. Because I realize how feeble and how shallow and how low my efforts are. You know, Tom Donahue and I were talking this last week and we were talking about questions that you get sometimes from people. And, and he was talking about some that you get in, in Sunday school from time to time. And he mentioned at one time getting a question from a te- one of the teens in a Sunday school class about can God really save like a murderer or even a mass murderer? And he's like, well, if they come to faith in Christ, they can. And I said, you know what's interesting about that is where do we put ourselves in that? With that kind of question, there's always a scale that you're, you're floating in there somewhere on. Where, where, how are you thinking of yourself? Because the point is, we usually don't have a problem with God forgiving us because, you know, the fact of the matter is we really haven't done all that much all that bad, right? That's how we feel about our sins a lot of times. We can always kind of justify, well, yeah, but I'm, I was doing that for this reason, so that, it wasn't too bad. We always feel like we're not too awful bad. Even if you interview inmates in the prisons, they're not too awful bad if they evaluate themselves. You know what the interesting thing is? That if you kind of make a chart and put God way up at the top and His level of righteousness is way up there, that's the top. If you put this murderer down somewhere toward the bottom, where do you picture yourself? The fact of the matter is we're probably, let me put it this way, we're probably closer to that murderer than we are to God in our level of righteousness. The whole point is we all fall very short. God gives it to us. In His grace. That's the first thing that we experience is that grace saves us. It can't come from us. We don't have it. It can't be achieved by us. It's not according to works. It's just by grace that we're saved. But not only does grace save, but as we've already kind of get a little insight in from this passage in Romans 3, we also see that grace silences. We find that we don't have anything to brag about. That's what verse 9 is all about. He says, not of works. It's not of you. It's not of works. So that what? Nobody can boast. We're not supposed to boast in these things. We're not supposed to brag about these things because they're not achieved by us. They're achieved by God. And you know what? That's really the rightful place for all the boasting. Any bragging that we should do any, it should all go to God. We should be working to glorify and magnify Him for this immeasurable grace that He just floods into our life with. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26-31. through 31. He's writing to a church that was having a little trouble with this. If you read through the rest of, the, of this book and the second book to Corinthians, they had some trouble with boasting. They had a little bit of trouble with looking at who was, the, who was more spiritual and it was based on what kind of gifts they had. And they used gifts kind of like a competition, it looked like. Um, in, in, the, in 2 Corinthians, you had teachers that were raising themselves up one above another. 1 Corinthians deal with some of that same issue. I'm from uh, Paul. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I, I follow, I'm more spiritual than all you guys. I just follow Jesus. <laughs> that was kind of the, the struggle that was going on within the church. They were putting themselves above one another in their level of spirituality. And the Apostle Paul writes to him, and he says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, whatever we have, even if it's a, even if it seems like a natural gift or ability, it is exactly that. It's a gift that was given to us by God. We didn't create ourselves. God created us. We didn't gift ourselves. God gifted us. Everything that we have comes as a gift from God. In Jeremiah, even back into the Old Testament, in chapter 9, he says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. And did you notice that's exactly what people do? They take whatever they're good at, and that's the thing to be measured by. I remember I had a friend one time years ago. A friend of mine came up to me and he says, I want you to pray for me. He says, I have a real problem with pride. I need some humility. And you know what my thought was? What is it that you're so good at? I couldn't see it. The fact of the matter is, he was good at some things. He started listing them to me. But they're not things that I'm good at. So they're not on my radar. Because I'm measuring myself by the things I'm good at. And he's measuring himself by the things he's good at. And we're probably both struggling with pride. But that's what we do in this world. You don't see the professional football guy being really quiet because he's not good at golf. You'll see them shouting off their abilities and their things, bragging about those things. But the point is, that's what people do. They take the thing that they're good at and they magnify themselves. And Jeremiah says, look, don't do it. Don't fall into that trap. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You see, our boasting, our excitement ought to be in the things that God gives us. And the fact of the matter is, is even the things that we do find ourselves kind of boasting in or taking glory in are actually things that God has given us. And so He's the rightful owner of all the bragging. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, He says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. So you see, Christian, as we go on into this new year, if we want to magnify something, we've got something worth magnifying. It's that amazing grace of God. Because that's who's put it in place and that's who's gifted you and that's who's given you the opportunity. And we got a lot of great opportunities coming ahead of us in this next year that we can celebrate the greatness of our God as we walk, as we live in His grace. Well, that brings us to the last part. And that is... Grace shows. Just because God is the one doing it all and giving it all to us, and it doesn't mean that we don't get active in it. It doesn't mean that we're just sitting on the sidelines as a spectator. No, we're involved. It's kind of like what I often think of with church. You know, you guys are not the spectators. You guys, you're really the the performers on this stage. Now, I have a more visible part being up on the stage facing you and you're all facing me. But you know what? This isn't really for us. This is for God. And He's looking down and you're a participant. You're not a spectator. You're a follower. You're not a fan. And so when God's looking and when you take part of the truth of your Word and you're like, oh yeah, that's right. You see, you're participating and that's what God is stirring within your heart. But not just in church and in church and in our different ministries and, and even at work and, and involved in other people's lives, the lives of your friends and your neighbors and your families. We're going to have opportunities to be involved. Guaranteed. 
Because God's the one putting them in place. Notice it says in verse 10, For we are His workmanship. His workmanship. The things that are going on in our life, the growth that we take place and the things that we get to be involved in, that's God working in our life and through our life in this world. Now the word workmanship actually was used to refer to art. It has the idea of masterpiece. We're His masterpiece. The Greek word is the word that we get our word poem from. And so the good things that we do in our lives, it isn't for us to brag about because it's actually God working in our life. It's like it says in Philippians in chapter 2 and verse 13, where he says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So anytime I get an inkling to do something good, you know what that is? That is me being able to see that God is doing something in me and through me. And then it's an opportunity for me to participate in this grand scheme of God. Think about what that does to that. That just takes some small task. Maybe you just had some small act of kindness that you thought of. I'm going to do this to that person to make them feel a little bit special today. Now that's pretty cool, right? But now, see the bigger picture. God actually puts you in that person's life. And you're going to have an opportunity in that person's life today. And God's the one that gave you the idea to do that and equipped you to do that. And so now all of a sudden, my good idea, my kind thing that I'm doing is so much more than that because God is involved and I actually get to be a part of something so much bigger than what I thought it was originally. And that's exactly what this passage is pointing out. It's focusing on this new creation. God creating. God's the only one that creates. And as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You know, in this passage it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, the good works, we just talked about good works just a minute ago. And he says it's not of good works. Our salvation is not based on our works. But being saved... He's creating us for good works. And it doesn't mean that we don't do the good works. It means that they're not what gets us to heaven. They're not what makes us acceptable before God. But after we receive the gift of God, which is this salvation through Jesus Christ, then He's got a lot of good works for us to do. Not to earn our salvation because of our salvation. We do these things because we reflect the image of God when we do good things. And He's our Father, and so we ought to look like Him. He says that we're created four good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Which God prepared beforehand. You know, the good things that you're going to do for other people in this next year, God already knows what they are. He's arranged them so that when you get to that day at that place in your life, it's already set up ready for you. And you just get to get involved and do something great. Isn't that awesome to think about that? That there's a whole host of things that God has lined up right in front of you. When, you know, when I worked construction back in Seattle and we had kind of three-man crews and stuff like that, um, we had one guy that was a laborer, that it was his job just to carry the wood basically, and the, the crew leader laid out the whole thing, and the second man was just basically nailing all day long. Not that other people didn't nail and stuff too, but that's one of the things I learned because I went through that whole process. When I got to be a crew leader, I had to have everything laid out for, for the guy to know where to put the lumber and the other guy to know where to nail it and I had to have it all lined up. That's exactly what God is doing in our life. He's making sure you have everything you need to do the job and that the job is there for you to do. 
And he's putting together those good works. So, you know what? As Christians, we shouldn't belittle good works. We definitely are right to focus on the fact that we're not saved by our works, but we get the tremendous privilege of being involved in them. It kind of takes temporary things in our life and makes them eternal, doesn't it? It kind of takes things of small worth and magnifies the value of them. The Apostle Paul saw his life that way in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, For I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. He said, look, I didn't deserve any of this. But by the grace of God, I got to be used by God mightily in my life. There's the Apostle Paul. I remember in a class in college, they estimate that he started some like 190-some churches probably. He took the Gospel to places that had never been. He just had a phenomenal life. And he said, you know what? I didn't deserve any of it. But thankful to the grace of God that not only did He save me, but He allowed me to be used for something good in people's lives. You know what? That's what grace does. Grace, a lot of times we just kind of tend to look at it as just that free gift of God, and it is that. But grace does so much more than, our, than that in our life. Grace saves us from our sin in more ways than just opening the door into heaven. It also rescues us from the power of sin in our life in a daily way. In the Apostle Paul's letter to Titus, he talked about it in this way. He said, for the grace of God, and notice again, it's kind of the past, present, and future that we looked at a couple weeks ago in Ephesians. But in Titus here, he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing the past, obviously, bringing salvation for all people. So God's grace is doing that. It's saving us from our sins, giving us that forgiveness. But then he also goes on in verse 12, he says, but presently training us. The grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And then it also points to the future because it says as we do that, we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, as we've talked about many times, salvation is talked about in about three different ways in the Bible. It saves us from the penalty of our sins. That's rescuing us from hell, letting us go to heaven. But it also saves us from the power of sin in our life on a daily level where we get to overcome temptations and the Holy Spirit gives us the empower to do what is right. We're saved from the power of sin in that way. And then ultimately, when we get to be with Christ, we will finally be saved from the presence of sin. It won't even be in our presence anymore. But you see, grace not only saves us from the penalty of sin, it saves us from the power of sin. And that's what this is talking about in Titus. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So the the grace of God, the salvation that is through faith alone, as it said earlier, the faith alone, it's never alone. Because it makes a transforming change in our life. You can't go from one moment being without Christ to the next moment being with Christ and not change. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells you and He's going to rearrange the furniture in your life. And He does it for good. You know, there's a lot of doctrinal statements that point out this truth. In the 39 articles of the Church of England, it says good works spring out necessarily of a true and a lively faith. 
The Westminster Confession says, Faith thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness is the alone instrument for justification, yet it is not alone in the person justified. John Calvin said, It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies is never alone. You see, the point that they're all making is that it's faith alone and not works that saves us. But in the person that has faith, his faith is never alone. There's always, he's always going to be doing good works. He's always going to see this positive change in his life because of his faith. John MacArthur Jr. put it, True grace is more than just a giant freebie opening the door to heaven in the sweet by and by, but leaving us to wallow in sin in the bitter here and now. The book of James in the New Testament says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. He says, Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So you see, grace does these three amazing things in our life. The grace of God saves us. It also silences us. But then it also shows in our life.